Today, we speak with homeopath Rebecca Stirrup, who is also the president of the New Zealand Homeopathic Society. Rebecca has volunteered for an organization called Homeopathy for Health in Africa since 2013. This organization was set up by Jeremy and Camilla Scher, who provide free homeopathic health care to the people in parts of Africa, particularly those who are affected by AIDS. Homeopathy for Health in Africa is truly doing much needed work and we ask that if you're able to donate to this wonderful organization in any way, then please visit www.homeopathyforhealthinafrica.org. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello homies and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we get to hang with homeopath and president of the New Zealand Homeopathic Society, the lovely Rebecca Stirrup. Welcome, Rebecca. Oh, thank you, Eugenie. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> uh, I'm just so happy to have you on because we've been trying to tee up this chat for a while. And um, I'm so excited for us to chat about homeopathy for health in Africa. But before we get cracking, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you first got introduced to homeopathy? I certainly can. And like many people, it's when I had my first baby, I was in my late 20s, and she got a little bit of eczema. And um, my brother had had very bad eczema as a a baby and as a a young child and took all the steroids and stuff. And I didn't want to go down that path with my daughter. So somebody suggested I went to take her to a homeopath, which I did and got good results. And then I was also looking for a change of career because I'd been in the computer industry for about 10 years and I did not want to continue in that line of work. And a friend said, well, why don't you think about studying homeopathy? So I went along to the first day's lectures and thinking, oh, well, I'll see what it's like. And I was completely hooked, completely hooked within an hour or two. And to be honest, I haven't stopped being hooked. And that's like 30, 34 years later. I still love it every single day. It's amazing. It's definitely a career that uh, once you're in it, it's really, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could call it obsessive, but it's definitely something that keeps your attention because there's just always something new and exciting and challenging and it just keeps you on your toes and it's just ever changing. Hey, it's just, I love it. It really does. It's so exciting. I mean, there is always new things to learn and I, I am a lifelong learner. I love learning new remedies, new thoughts about homeopathy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always interesting. Absolutely. Now, how did you get involved with Homeopathy for Health in Africa? And you've been doing that since 2013. Can you tell us how you first became interested? Okay. I'd been wanting to go and do some sort of volunteer project um, for a long time. I was waiting for my, well, we were waiting for our youngest son to leave home. And he seemed quite reluctant. He was 18. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And I was looking for something homeopathy. People want doctors and nurses and accountants. And then I saw um, a newsletter that Jeremy Scher had written about uh, in one of the journals about homeopathy for health in Africa. And I thought, that's it, I'm going. And so I just applied and um, had an interview with Camilla, Camilla Scher, and they said, yeah, come. So I had about six months to prepare and it's been the most fantastic experience of my life. So I really, really have benefited so much from joining in that project. So to give you a little bit of background about Homeopathy for Health in Africa, it's set up in Tanzania by, you've heard me mention, uh, Jeremy and Camilla Schur. They set it up in 2008. So when I went, they were about five, they were about five or six years in, and they take a number of different volunteers from around the world to help them run the project. 
They have a centre in the town of Moshi where people, patients can come to get treated. And then they have about 18 outreach clinics, uh, which are dotted all around the Kilimanjaro region. And I cannot tell you how much fun it is going to visit those <laughs> clinics. And as a homeopath, it's just it's just so exciting. It, you know, here in my clinic here, I might see, if I have a really busy day, I might see eight or 10 patients. Well, there, you when you arrive, there are already 30 or 40 people waiting to see you. Wow. So it's just, it's a whole different experience and they come with everything. So the project was set up originally to, to treat AIDS in, in Tanzania. But, of course, people come when they're HIV positive, but they also come with all sorts of other things from, it can be anything from digestive problems to uh, TB to epilepsy to the normal coughs that we might get here. Um, so you get the full range of um, people coming. But originally it was set up to, to deal with AIDS. So, mm. yeah, it was fascinating. Absolutely. A total immersion, fascinating experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, for those who haven't watched the documentary yet, we have mentioned it in a previous podcast mm. and we had an interview with Ananda Moore with her documentary Magic Pills. And uh, she actually goes and visits Jeremy and Camilla as well. And you can sort of see the effect that it has on the families. Like if, if for example, if the woman has AIDS, she's pretty much just cast out of the village, um, you know, by herself. So yeah. the work that they're doing there is absolutely amazing. And from what my understanding, they you're also training up the local people to be able to use homeopathy themselves, right? Is that what the outreach yes. clinics do? Yes. Well, no, the outreach clinics, you know, they, there's two roles that we go as, you know, volunteer homeopath, like for myself when I'm there, I'll we'll be going to one of the outreach clinics mm -hmm. they've also got local homeopaths that have been trained usually we set up two or three stations so that there might be two or three uh, homeopaths working with a translator we because they have their local language perhaps they mostly speak Swahili mm -hmm. they mostly don't speak English so I will always be working through a translator which is a whole different ball game as well it's a whole different experience but mm -hmm. we do train local people to be homeopaths to be fully qualified homeopaths Exactly. So they've got two uh, local women who've been Tanzanian women who are not, have been homeopaths for years there now. And what's quite exciting is they're also training two further women, young women, um, to become homeopaths. What we've also done with the training of local people, for example, in the Maasai area where it's so remote, um, there's hardly any medical facilities. Mm -hmm. um, it's about a two-hour drive from Moshi, three hours maybe, right into the very remote areas. So... There we've run a, a training project over three years where, no, probably longer now, five years. We started them on, on just a basic 36 remedy kit so that they learned each of the remedies in that kit. And we teach them, go up there for a couple of days, three days, teach them 10, 12 remedies. Mm -hmm. They had the kit and then they can start using them in their communities just for, for basic first aid type stuff. But what we found is that those people are so hungry for more knowledge and more information they wanted more than just the 36 remedies. So we just kept going. Like every year we go and we do another 12 remedies. Like we did all, a lot of the AIDS remedies that we use because there's a lot of AIDS in, in the Maasai population. And that's partly because they have different kind of relationships to us. Maybe it might be slightly controversial, but you may, you may have one man with three or four wives and multiple children in their compound. So you can imagine if one person gets AIDS and it can just spread through a community mm -hmm. very, very fast. 
So because then they're having different type of relationships to how mm-hmm. we perhaps do things in the West. Mm-hmm. So we have nine people that we've trained in that Maasai area, all in different villages, different remote villages. And then they are able to do first aid type stuff, coughs, eyes, a lot of eye problems because of all the dust. Mm-hmm. It's so dusty up there. And they can treat people in their own villages. So it's really reducing the need for, or it's helping them out um, Mm. when there is no other medical care available. That's amazing. And do you find in general they're quite receptive or are they quite skeptical of these little white pills? (laughs) Completely completely receptive to to it. And, you know, the people we've trained, they're usually leaders in their community. So they Mm. might have kind of a bit of status in their community. They, I've, we, we teach them, again, through a translator because they know a little bit of English but not much. So they have they know Maasai and Swahili maybe. So then I have a, a, a translator that's working with me to go from English to Swahili. So it's, it's pretty exciting. There's lots of action um, when we're teaching, lots of um, demonstrating, you know, with action rather than necessarily words because yeah. you use your whole body to express yourself. Yeah. <laughs> They can't understand what you're saying. You know, we have a different language and it's the same when they're conveying things to me. So we do a lot of role playing in the teaching type situation and get them to role play different patients coming with different complaints, that kind of thing. Amazing. And have you learned some Swahili words? Oh, yes. I've learned quite a few. (laughs) Amazing. I know all the parts of the body in Swahili. (laughs) Well, you've been there several times now. You say you've been going since 2013. And um, so how many times have you you been there? Well, some years I went twice. Wow. (laughs) One year I actually spent five months there. I went for three months and came home for a couple of months and then went back for another couple of months. But I've been at least eight or nine times and my husband always comes with me which is great and um, he kind of does all the cars and the practical stuff and helps the project out in that way because obviously we need a we need a four-wheel drive to get to some of these outreach clinics Mm -hmm. and he's a kind of kiwi man so he's he enjoys that side of things the practical stuff (laughs) I I do remember when I was still living in New Zealand and uh, you know I would just always see a notice coming up yet yeah, Rebecca's Rebecca's back in Africa Rebecca's back and I remember this Rebecca person she's never in New Zealand she's always in Africa <laughs> um, I wonder Rebecca can you tell us a little bit about the type of results that they're getting over there because at the end of the day it comes all down to the results so what sort of things are they achieving with homeopathy and particularly with the patients there with AIDS yeah so with the patients with AIDS most of them are on their antiretroviral medication and we never take them off that that medication can give a lot of side effects and sometimes they go into treatment failure as well because they only have limited drugs available and if they may be able to swap them to one other antiretroviral but if that doesn't work they go into treatment failure. So a lot of the work we do is both helping with the side effects of the medication which can be vomiting, diarrhea, dizziness, uh, fatigue, all that kind of malaise if you like as well as helping them if they do go into treatment failure where they really go into a state of collapse and they get a lot the thing with AIDS because it's a breakdown of the immune system they get a lot of opportunistic infections so things like TB for example goes hand in hand with AIDS 
uh, a lot of chesty problems. The other one, a big one, is shingles, interestingly enough, because it's kind of a nervous disorder breakdown as well. So shingles is often one of the first signs that somebody has AIDS. Mm. So the results are pretty phenomenal because you get people living well with AIDS. And that's really what you want because if they can't, they've got no energy, they have no appetite, and they can't work. And the work they have to do is mostly farming, growing food, um, keeping themselves and their families alive. You know, they have to work today to put food on the table tomorrow. Mm. So if people can't work because they're too exhausted or or whatever, then it really does um, affect their lives dramatically. So what we see is that people actually come back to a more normal kind of energy and life. They may still be positive, but they're actually able to live a normal life normal life and those kind of results are really amazing to see Mm, absolutely Um, as you were talking I was also wondering uh, it'll be interesting to see how quickly the people in Tanzania respond to the remedies versus over here because obviously they are not exposed to wi-fi and processed food and you know the rushed way of life that we have here in the west do you notice any change in how the vital forces respond to the remedies yeah I think they do respond really well they do have wi-fi most of People oh, now. do they? So they it's not do. that remote. They have phones and stuff okay. like that. <laughs> um, but I think you're right. They don't have the, the processed foods that we do, but they might have a poorer quality diet than we mm, also do. Okay. And they do have access to some drugs. If if they are living in a small town or a town and they've got money, then they will have access to some medicines. Mm. But a lot of them don't take the number of medicines that we do here in mm. the West. So that is different. And I think they do respond really well uh, and quickly to homeopathy and I think that because they're, they're very open to it and we haven't found any resistance at all to people wanting to come to kind of a natural health modality which is really great it's really great to see yeah that's beautiful and what other sort of things do you treat there so is it mostly just the patients with AIDS or do people come to see you for a variety of other things as well yeah, they come with a variety of other things, everything you can possibly think of. I've treated things there that I would never have the opportunity to treat here in New Zealand. Because there isn't the same kind of level of um, other medical care available, you will get people with active epilepsy who are not on any medication, so they have epileptic fits. So that's really brilliant to be able to, I mean, I can remember one case in the Maasai, a young man in his, I don't know, late 20s, and he was having epileptic fits all the time. They call it falling down because obviously mm. they fall. But everybody over there in Africa, they usually cook on open fires. So if people fall, and that a lot of burns, for example, if they have an epileptic fit when they're near a fire, then they can mm. burn themselves. People are very supportive in the villages of people who have things like this. But just see dramatic results because it's actually usually a really clear picture for a homeopath when you have an epileptic fit. It's just that we don't see them here in, in New Zealand, I don't, because everybody's medicated. Mm. So it's amazing to see like then these dramatic results, yeah, mm. really dramatic results. Mm. The other aspect that people don't think is we do get more emotional problems as well, not so much the sort of stress that we get in the West perhaps um, or they wouldn't express it like that, mm. but there is a lot of a lot of stress in people's lives and it's usually about poverty wanting to be able to send their children to school and having enough money because they have to pay school fees it may be that they're widows their husband died um, from AIDS so then we, there's a lot of AIDS widows so there's grief the children do more children die in Africa than mm. here obviously 
So most women will have experienced at least one loss of a child. So there is the grief and the other side of things as well, the more rounded uh, thing rather than just the physical as well. And, you know, that when a husband dies, that might be the first time an, um, a widow realises that her husband has AIDS and then that she's probably will get, take her off and get, find out that she is also positive. Mm-hmm. She didn't know until that point that she, mm-hmm. she is also has, and she's got to now put food on the table for her children, try and get them to school. So there are stresses to do with poverty mm-hmm. and money and, you know, providing for your family. Mm, amazing. So you do. And for the homeopaths who might be listening, Natrum Muir is a great remedy. You know, it's a good AIDS remedy. It's oh. also a good remedy for, for those AIDS widows in particular. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. Um, Rebecca, can you share some stories with us of uh, some patients that you might have treated or that you've seen treated at Homeopathy for Health in Africa? Oh, gosh, there's so many. It's hard to know (laughs) know where to start. So we see lots of malaria. So um, not so much. It it comes at certain times of the year in the Kilimanjaro region because it's higher up the mountain. So I've treated, you know, uh, quite a few people with with malaria. And, again, pretty simple from a homeopathic point of view. And you see that fever start to resolve and the headaches that come with malaria, you see them start to resolve as well. Quick question with the malaria. Do, do they use staphysagria or anything like that prophylactically? We don't use staphysagria, but we do have a prophylactic. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's a slight combo. Okay. It's one of the only combos they use in Tanzania because they really stick with the single remedy choice. Interesting. Um, but we do, like, if I'm going to the coast um, from Moshi, I don't take it all the time when I'm in Moshi, but if I'm going to the coast, then I will take the prophylactic uh, homeopathic remedy. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So, anyway. Are you allowed to say what's in it? <laughs> I don't know whether we know exactly what's in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> as long as it works. You've got China salt in it. A couple of other things. I think Natremure is actually in there because Natremure oh. has the intermittent fever and the headache. If you, you know, that's often a, a good remedy for, for malaria. Mm-hmm. And that brings me on to one of the other projects, just reminding me about when you, I said China solved for one of the remedies for malaria. Now, one of the um, problems is there's a lot of deafness in Tanzania, and we've got several deaf projects um, going. Now, there's whole schools full of deaf children, many, many more than you would ever see, say, in our you know, New Zealand society anyway. And this, um, a lot of it comes from using the overuse of quinine for mm. the treatment of malaria. So when people get malaria, particularly children, sometimes they literally drip the, the quinine into the baby's ear or the child's ear. And there's a lot of overdosing of quinine. And one of the side effects is um, deafness or hearing loss in children, which isn't widely known. But right through East Africa, it's the same in Kenya. I've, I've worked in Kenya in a couple of deaf projects as well. So many children with um, problems with deafness um, mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a side effect of taking the malarial drugs. Mm-hmm. So that's something that the project has been working hard with. We've got two or three schools where we go regularly treat um, the deaf children. We've been doing kind of a research project. I mean, I'm a little bit out of date with that now because my knowledge is sort of two, three years old because I haven't been able to go for the last two years. But getting quite good good results when people have had the abuse of quinine not good if they've got congenital deafness and there are some children in there with in those schools with congenital deafness that's much harder but for the children with um abuse of quinine we can really help particularly if they're young to get their hearing back which is absolutely vital to learning 
to safety on the road to everything because mm. people don't have hearing aids. So, um, of course, mm. yeah. Any other stories you want to share about your time in Africa? Yeah, well, one of the other really exciting projects is the Albino Project. So some of your listeners may have heard about Albino. In, in, there is quite a, a, a large group of Albino people in Tanzania, and the children particularly suffer greatly because mm-hmm. they're o- often ostracised from their societies and people, people are frightened of them. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of a lot of kind of witchcraft type stuff around having an albino in your family or in your village. So the parents have to, often have to keep the children hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of schools in Tanzania, not so far away from uh, Moshi. We've got one about um, an hour's drive away, which where they have a they have a big it's a boarding school and they have a big group of albino children mm-hmm. and they get terrible sunburn. Mm. and skin cancers sometimes they have other problems too like strabismus their eyes don't work well and so we've been really working hard in the last probably five years since we start that started that albino project to help those kids Mm. with their skin um, with their eyes and even just the basics of providing them with sunglasses and hats and Mm. little gloves so that because they backs of their hands will get really burnt from the sun because they've got no melatonin you know they've got Mm. no uh, skin protection no sun Mm. protection so that's another project that HHA, Homeopathy for Health in Africa, has been really working hard with. Mm. Homeopathic remedies, but also the add-ons, you know, the, the sunglasses and the hats mm. and the other bits and bobs that can help make those, and some funding to the school to help protect those children. I'm just uh, I'm thinking of Hilary Dorian's endocrine lecture, and she mentioned about, I think it was the anterior pituitary that produces um, pigmentation. I was just thinking, if, I wonder if that endocrine sarcode might be helpful. That would be really interesting. Mm. Very good point. I'm going to make a note of yeah, that. Yeah, I've actually, <laughs> in my um, clinic, uh, when I have clients with issues with pigmentation, I've often given that endocrine star code and that's been really yeah. helpful for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. We've used various different remedies. I mean, we try and always individualise with, the, with mm. the particular child as, as homeopathy is that way. But we've found ozone is really good. If you think about they're right on the equator, Tanzania, mm. and the sunlight is coming straight down. So we've tried ozone and sol have been quite good remedies for the skin cancers and because they can get very dry, peeling lips, which mm. is a, a symptom of ozone. So those are a couple of remedies we've found can have quite a lot of benefit but often it's just the normal remedies that we give here you know it might be the calcarea carb child or the silica mm. or the arsenicum child so it's not always kind of unusual remedies if you know what I mean amazing I remember there was a homeopath it was actually Susanna Shelton that said at the start of summer each year she takes sol in a 50m potency and that's <laughs> like her sun protection for the year it's like, wow, that's really amazing. But um, yeah, Sol is such a, for our listeners, it's actually the remedy that's made from sunlight. And in our family, we've actually used that for 10 years for sun protection. So when we go out in the sun, we take the remedy instead of sunscreen. I've got to say now that we're here in Perth and we have 40 degree days, I will sometimes use the Sol alongside sunscreen, but it's such an incredible remedy for mm. after effects of uh, sunburn or also to help prevent sunburn. Rebecca, any, any other stories that you want to share about Africa? Just want to make sure that, you know, we could we, get we enough good stuff everything. here because we could probably cover, you know, several hours. But I yeah. know, I know. There's so, there's so many different, um, there's so many different stories. Mm-hmm. Um, another of our outreach clinics, um, we've talked, which is pretty amazing, is um, because the project is based on the slopes of Kilimanjaro, just for your listeners. So it's about four and a half thousand feet. So it's, it's actually a really lovely climate. 
and, and it's quite fertile, um, the Kilimanjaro region with bananas. And they grow a lot of coffee for the coffee drinkers amongst you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, But often our clinics are up the side of the mountain. So um, up in the villages higher up on, on, on the slopes of the Kilimanjaro, which is pretty fantastic. So one of the ones we go to is um, a clinic called Mweka, and there's a lovely lady there called Sister Ida. So a lot of our um, outreach clinics have a local organiser, and Sister Ida is our local organiser at the Maweka um, clinic. And she's lived there her whole life. She owns some land. She's she's a religious lady, and but she's just oh, she's one of my um, heroines, I suppose, because she does so much for her community. She organises a monthly clinic and everybody from the region comes. And it, we used to just go one day a month. Now we go two, three days. We have two, three homeopaths working each day. There'll be 60, 70 people coming. And, um, and it's just, it's got these beautiful views off the side of the Kilimanjaro. And when you're driving up, you see the the, the peak, you know, which is, I don't know, 19, I, I can't remember, 19,000 feet, I think. And you've got that snow-capped Kilimanjaro wow. as you drive up the mountain and then you're under all the banana trees and the coffee plantations. And it's just, I don't know, it's pretty magical. So that's another kind of clinic that, you know, all the people who fund homeopathy for health in Africa from around the world, they're helping to keep this very small grassroots project going. Mm-hmm. And it really is such a grassroots project with, you know, local organisers, the local people walking to the clinic, local Tanzanians as homeopaths and as the helpers, you know, the, the driver, the translators, all of those people, you know, HHA is employing some local people. And then you've got the outside people like me who come in. And where do you get your remedies from? Do you have sponsors for that or how? how? Yeah, we do. Um, Helios in the UK has been a, a brilliant sponsor. So has Similimum. Every time I go, uh, Similimum here in New Zealand donates some remedies. So they always ask, I ask, what are you short of? What do you need more of? So, yeah, it's been great. Celine also has donated homeopathic remedies. So, And whenever we have volunteers coming from around the world, we ask them to bring in extra extra supplies yeah amazing how can people get behind this project Rebecca because this is something just amazing and I just quickly want to say in there as well so Martin and Pleasance who I buy a lot of my remedies from here in um, Australia uh, last year they or I think it was the year before they sent me uh, a Christmas card they had actually bought me a Christmas present because I'm one of their really good customers and it was a donation to Homeopathy for Health in Africa on my behalf. And I thought that was the best Christmas present ever. So if anyone wants to buy a super cool Christmas present for your homeopath or anyone else passionate about homeopathy, do a donation to Homeopathy for Health in Africa in that person's name because I thought that was awesome. But how can people get behind this project? Well, um, obviously not everybody can go to Tanzania. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Believe me, I'm sitting here planning. I'm sitting here planning. <laughs> a lot of people would love to go. But I think even it's recognizing that an, even a small donation can make a big difference in Africa. So, you know, I just I was just doing some calculations. They have Tanzanian shillings here. So like $20, $20 in Tanzania can actually um, pay for a number of remedies for our clinics. It will pay for $20 will pay for all the remedies for one of our outreach clinics on that wow. particular day. And that might be 30 or 40 doses. They all get a little bottle with the remedy in. And so that's the kind of thing. If you can do a a monthly donation of $10 or $20 a month and get behind this grassroots project, you you actually can make a real difference. It's very empowering, I think, for local people to be able to 
have a little bit of control of their lives and their health. Mm. And, yeah, for those of you out there who use natural medicine and we've got good access to it in our parts of the world, then, yeah, just see if you can, for the price of a cup of coffee once a week, maybe you can make, you know, you can make a difference. You really can. Absolutely. And um, I think this is a dilemma for a lot of people. They want to donate. They want to contribute in some way. But there's so many of these big charities and you know that a lot of that money is going towards marketing and it's going towards paying for CEOs or you don't really know where your money ends up. But if you're actually contributing to something like Homeopathy for Health in Africa, you know it goes directly to the people and you're actually making such a huge impact. So I cannot think of a better way to spend 20 bucks a month. No, it really, sounds it, really, amazing. it really does make a difference. Mm. And I think um, the, the thing is HHA, Homeopathy for Health in Africa, is, is largely run by volunteers, even people like me. Like I've got a, a small project that I'm running on their behalf. Obviously, I've been in New Zealand for two years. I haven't been able to leave. We're locked in. Um, so to be able to contribute in a different way, I've been helping them with their social media. And we've got, we've got a little team of five. One person does the social media. Mm. Other people are doing this somebody else is doing another project. So there is no admin cost as such because it's all being done by volunteers. Um, Where the the money goes, it goes directly to clinics on the ground, Mm. bottles for the patients, paying our local Tanzanian homeopaths, which I think is really important because it Mm. makes the project more sustainable. You know, it's paying about seven or or eight local people, and I think that is fantastic. You know, employing Mm. local women who would otherwise not be able to find a job um, because there are so few jobs in available in, in a country like Tanzania. Everybody has to be self-employed or grow their own food. It's very much a subsistence lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can definitely make a difference with your cup of coffee a week or whatever. Yeah, so get on the website and help us out. Please, please, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, on top of all of this, you're also the president of the New Zealand Homeopathic Society. How did you get yourself roped into that? And what what is your what's your hopes and dreams for the Homeopathic Society and what sort of things have you got in the pipeline and what are you working towards? Well, I got myself involved sort of by mistake. I did I said I would join the committee and then suddenly I was catapulted into being the president. <laughs> but I suppose I do like to help and I've got a have got a bit of a vision for, for the society or the we the committee, we work as a team. And this is one of the things I love working in a team. And this is something I learned in Tanzania, working in a team of homeopaths rather than as an individual homeopath, which I had always tended to do in my own clinic. It's just so supportive, so so much more fun. You know, joining the team, you know, for the society has been has been really fun. I've made new friends. We work hard. It's all done by volunteers. We run a fabulous bookshop and we sell about $30,000 worth of books a year in, into New Zealand. A few of those um, thousands are from me, by the way. <laughs> and, you have got a great bookshop. Absolutely great. And often if I've wanted a book and I can't find it anywhere, the bookshop has actually gotten it in for me. So just yeah. big ups to the bookshop. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. And one of the things we've been really working on is promoting homeopathy to the public. So we've had a really a sustained campaign of social media. So we just do, you know, very basic, keep promoting homeopathy and the benefits of homeopathy and how it can help, how it can help people, how, you know, promoting the college so that people can get more educated. A lot of patients do transition into becoming training homeopaths as you know Mm -hmm. and I think the other thing is we're trying we're sort of representing more of a consumer voice all of us are passionate about homeopathy and you know there's a lot of pressure on natural health modalities and and I'm sure it's the same in New Zealand so we need to keep our pressure up to actually represent 
our consumers of homeopathy mm-hmm. who may not actually, some will go to see a professional homeopath, but a lot of them will use homeopathy at home with their families. And it's keeping that door open. Um, so that's one of the society's roles is to keep that, that door open mm-hmm. and keep spreading the word. Yeah. And we have funding available for homeopaths who want to teach homeopathy in their communities. We have funding available for student homeopaths who maybe want a book scholarship because books are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're trying to really work that very hard to increase increase the scope and the users of homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, that book scholarship is wonderful because I tell you what, the homeopathy books are really expensive. And it's simply because if you as a homeopathic author write a book you have got a limited audience worldwide that's going to buy your book so our books are very very expensive and if you're just starting out um sat your with your homeopathic studies it can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes i mean obviously you're going to be using these books for the rest of your life i mean the ones i've got here behind me i most of them i bought as a student and i'm still using them you know more than a decade later but that initial investment is a lot so i didn't know about that scholarship that you've got that's wonderful yeah Yes, yes, yeah. we have. The other thing the society has is a beautiful reference library because we do everything with volunteers. We've just moved it actually to Natra Farm in Rotorua and we've got thousands of beautiful historic books, brand new books. We've got the full range of sort of contemporary and historic documents, historic remedies, um, and Natra Farm has just been amazing. They're a homeopathic pharmacy here um, in New Zealand. So we also have two library scholarships available. So if people want to go and do some study or research, they can have some funding available to maybe help them travel to Rotorua to use the library. So we're really trying to push the boundaries a little bit more and get people kind of more engaged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously to become a member, that's for anyone, the general public as well as professional homeopaths. Anyone can become a member of the yeah. homeopathic society. They can. Anybody can become a member. In general, it's our members are either homeopaths who or members of the public who've got a particular interest and they want to support us in our endeavours to spread the word about homeopathy. But we have lots mm-hmm. of benefits as well. Like for homeopaths, for example, you know, we've got benefits for the public, benefits for homeopaths. You know, you can be our homeopath of the month on our social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and promote yourself across our platform. You know, we've got quite a lot of followers. Mm-hmm. So that's a way of, of getting your information out there. And then you've got access to that funding if you want to teach homeopathy in your communities. But the public can also join and they get a free ebook. And they get, when they first join, they can also get a free um, introduction to homeopathy book as well. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a few other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But wait, there's more. You also have a charitable clinic in uh, South Auckland. So you've been practicing, obviously, for many decades now, and you've had yeah. your own practice all this time. Um, so tell us about your charitable clinic in Sakanini. I live in South Auckland. And when I came back from my first trip to Tanzania, you know, South Auckland has got lots of people um, who would love to treat their families uh, with homeopathy or mm-hmm. a, a natural therapy. But basically, you have to pay because we're not part of the medical system. We, you know, if you want to go to the doctors and get antibiotics and other drugs, they're all free. Mm. But if you want to do something healthy, um, you have to pay. So um, when I came back from Tanzania, I decided, uh, and I love the collaborative model. So with four other homeopaths, we set up two charitable clinics, actually, one in Takanini, South Auckland, and one at a a Marae, uh, also in South Auckland, just so that was you know, two days a week. And we we worked as a team. Um, often we had two homeopaths in the room. We had a lot of fun. We were just taking cases and a bit more like the African model, you know, where people just come because they, they walk in and they've got a sore throat or they've got 
whatever. Um, so we did that for nearly eight years. And then we had mandates and lockdowns here last August in um, in Auckland. And I haven't been able to go back to my clinic since last August. That last time I was there actually was in July mm. um, because I am vaccine free. And so I'm not allowed to go to my clinic. So I've obviously transferred to working online and all my mm. paying patients transferred but for those those other people who are in the community and more vulnerable mm. it's much harder for them to get organized and mm. do the whole charitable thing so I've I've had a, still had a few that come through but in general I've lost that charitable clinic that we were running for eight years which is really really sad because those people mm. really need that help you know mm-hmm. that really need that help so yeah very sad that is very sad. Can you quickly explain for our non-Kiwi listeners what a marae is? Oh, sorry. Yes. So a marae <laughs> is, is, is it's, it's um, the Maori um, community kind of meeting house facilities. Mm. So the marae that I was working at, they had a medical facility where, where they had a doctor and they had nurses and all that kind. They had two sides to it. Mm. And so they had the medical side and then they had the non-medical side where they had Maori healers, uh, Miri Miri, which is uh, Maori massage, they had me, the homeopath. They had spiritual healers, all of that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, because of the way our government chose to mandate um, all health workers, whether they be part of the system or not, mm-hmm. and also the other place I work is an education facility where they have a, a childcare. Um, so I saw lots of children. All of that I can't go. So that's mm-hmm. why it's kind of fallen away. It's one of my goals for the society to actually set up again some kind of form of charitable clinics again and actually maybe do it through maybe through the society but otherwise individually again but yeah all fallen through it's um just absolutely crazy I just well I hope something beautiful comes out of all of this and that we can all learn from this whole crazy COVID experience but I think that's a whole other podcast (laughs) um Rebecca can you please just Quickly tell us all the places where people can get hold of you for homeopathy for health in Africa. And can you quickly mention about the legacy donors as well? Oh, yes. Okay. So homeopathy for health in Africa, it's all one word, .org is their website. That's how you get hold of them. And you can Google it as well. And for me personally, my website is AKL, which is short for Auckland, homeopathy.co.nz. And you can find the society by just Googling the New Zealand Homeopathic Society. We've got a good website. Yeah, so the Legacy Program is also another kind of, I don't know, I seem to get these little strings to my bow. So I told you I'd set up this, we've set up this donations team and there's five of us. And it's it's so great because there's five women and we're all over the world. We've got one in Adelaide, two in New Zealand, one in the States and one in Spain. So we finding a time where we can all meet on Zoom has been a challenge. Um, for some of them, it's nine o'clock at night. Somebody else, it's six thirty in the morning. It's all over the place. Anyway, we're working as a team, and we've got um, both the legacy program and the donations, the monthly donations program that we've already talked about. So the legacy program, there's a lot of homeopaths like me who've been around 30, 40 years, and patients of homeopaths. You know, like listening to Hilary Dorian talk last week, she's got patients who've been with her for 30, 40 years. Mm. They've committed their lives to a beautiful health modality and they want to ensure that homeopathy continues for the future you know with all the stuff that's going on around preventing people from accessing natural health Mm. or trying to so one of the things for funding we're doing with HHA is asking people to consider leaving a legacy in their will 
so that when you pass and, you know, many of us have been confronted with our um, mortality, I suppose, with COVID and maybe it's brought it a little bit closer to top of mind rather than somewhere in the distance, asking people if they would consider putting a legacy for homeopathy for health in Africa in their will. And it can be as little as $5,000 or it might be $20,000 or it might be $100,000 if you're, you know, when you've made provision for your family, you know, you can actually leave a substantial amount or a small amount. And so we've already got three people who've agreed to do that on our legacy program. So we're just aiming for about five to 10 in the first year. And then we hope that other people will step forward and put something in their will to support homeopathy into the future so that we really ensure that it's still available for future generations. I think that's brilliant. It's such a great <laughs> idea. Was there anything else that you wanted to get across to our listeners today before we finish up? I think I've said enough, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I sh- suppose one of the other I suppose one of the things I found is, you know, like when I stepped out and did that African thing uh, in Tanzania, you know, all those years ago, I have got so much more back myself than I have given, you know, that and it's the funny thing, it's the paradox about you give your time, you give your energy, but you make new friends. I've got friends all over the world. You create new projects. You get such a stimulation from helping people. But it's also, you, as I say, you make new friends. Um, mm-hmm. It's just been amazing. So get out there, people. <laughs> Pretty fun. And I never thought I'd do this at this stage of my life, you know, so... It's been pretty nice. Yeah. And if you can't physically get out there, please do consider donating because yeah, for the, you know, cost of a cup of coffee. And uh, if you get almond cappuccinos, believe me, it's a lot more expensive than just $5 a week. (laughs) So, you know, just a sacrifice that one, you know, decaf, skim, almond (laughs) cappuccino a week and instead help you know, hundreds and even thousands. Of yeah, hundred, yeah they've, they've got over 20,000 patients in, in Tanzania uh, that they've helped over the over the period. The other funny thing is that I just worked out, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here in New Zealand, the vaccine-free are not allowed to go to the hairdressers. Oh, my gosh. So I, you know, we're punished. For I, think, I think we can still go to hairdressers, <laughs> but we're not allowed to sit down in cafes and restaurants. So believe me, we've actually saved so much money. <laughs> well, exactly. This is my whole point. So I haven't been to the hairdresser since uh, July last year. Oh, Normally no. I'd be going every six weeks to get a start and to get some colour and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I worked out how much I'd saved. And everybody keeps telling me, your hair looks fine, Rebecca, because it's... Your hair looks gorgeous. I was thinking that the entire time. Your hair looks so beautiful. It's right down my back now. (laughs) (laughs) So I've saved so much money from not going to the hairdressers because I'm vaccine-free. You know, I said to my husband, this is some money that I'm going to donate, you know, because... I can donate a little bit more to HHA and I'm sure there's a load of other people, you know, the coffee, you can't go at, uh, we can't go to co- cafes or restaurants either, oh. uh, but we can't go to the, I can't go to my yoga classes. Oh um, my gosh. You know, so I have saved quite a lot of money in the last eight months. Well, now you can put all that extra money to HHA. But um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today, Rebecca. It's been wonderful speaking with you and I'm going to hop on the, the website and just donate straight away. Please, 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 please. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. I will. Thanks. Bye. Bye.